Exodus 12, uh, page 68 in the Church Bible. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbour, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire, head, legs and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting, lasting ordinance. And on to verse 28. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go and worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go, and also bless me. Let me pray for us. Yours the praise and yours the glory, Lamb of God for sinners slain. We pray now, Father God, that you would help us to give the glory now to the Lord Jesus. Would you help us as we look at these words? Would you help us to see more of Jesus, to see more of who he is and what he's done for us so that we give him all of the praise and all of the glory in our lives? Amen. Well, this past week we've had a very historic event, haven't we, in the Queen's funeral Ten days of national mourning, culminating in the state funeral watched by an estimated five billion people around the world. And it was called a sombre celebration. 
And it's strange, isn't it, how something can be both of those things, can be somber celebration. Well, the bit of the Bible that we've just read outlines for us something similar, a time of terrible death and grief and a glorious night to remember. We're thinking about the Exodus, Exodus meaning departure. Well, this is the bit in the book of Exodus when the people actually Exodus, they actually go. It's the most historic moment in the Old Testament. It's the rescue against which the others in the Bible are measured. It was a day to commemorate for the generations to come. And we're commemorating it right now. Because I'd argue this isn't just an interesting story to read. This isn't just a story about something that happened to some people a long time ago, far, far away. No, this is one for us to celebrate. This isn't just what happened to them then. It is teaching us what happens to us now. How God still deals with sin and how people like us can still be rescued so as we commemorate this story, as we go over it, let's let it get under our skin. Let's let it make us somber in the right sense. Let's let it make us celebrate. So first, the obviously somber part, the death of the firstborn. The death of the firstborn. Last week, we looked at the first nine plagues that God sent to Egypt. And we saw how it was blow after blow from the hand of God, judgment after judgment on Egypt for their sin. All designed to loosen Pharaoh's grip so that he would let God's people go. The Israelites were slaves, but God had made them promises, hadn't he? He'd promised them freedom. He'd promised them true freedom. That is, not to be serving Pharaoh anymore, but to be serving and worshipping him. He'd promised them a land of their own where they'd be blessed by him. But Pharaoh kept refusing to let them go and enjoy those promises. Pharaoh kept hardening his heart, kept saying no. And so God sent blood and frogs and gnats and flies and the death of their livestock and boils and hail and locusts and darkness and one thing after another after another and Pharaoh kept refusing but then we get to chapter 11 verse 1 now the Lord said to Moses I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt after that he will let you go from here and when he does he will drive you out completely so we're going to have one more plague, number 10, and this will be the clincher. This is going to be the one that gets Pharaoh to wave the white flag. Not just letting them go, but sending them away in desperation. We see in this plague that as powerful as Pharaoh was, the Lord is God and he always wins in the end. This final plague would be the worst the death of the firstborn. Here's how Moses introduces it to Pharaoh in chapter 11, verse 4 to 6. This is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt 
will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who's at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. <coughs> God was saying he himself was going to come down and pass through the land. And everywhere he went, in every family, in every household, the firstborn son would die. Just work that out in your family. For us, that would be me and Bram. We would be dead. It would mean my dad. It would mean Lib's brother and their little boy who was only born just last week. On the other side of the family, both my sisters would lose their husbands and their only sons. And can you imagine that nationwide as we go round? Utter devastation. <clears throat> Let's go and get some water. Utter, utter devastation. And we see here how impartial God's judgment is. Nobody is too high or too low. Pharaoh can't avoid it. He can have all the security he likes, keep big gates, keep them locked, have lots of security guards. But he won't be able to avoid this. He can't buy his way out of this. And the lowest slave is not going to be forgotten either. Not going to be, oh, we don't really have them on the records. No. Not even the animals are left unscathed. This is total judgment. And it's not just judgment on those who are killed. This is judgment on everybody, on those left behind to suffer the grief. We see the battle of Pharaoh versus God was always going to be a battle to the death. Because Pharaoh was just too stubborn. He was too stubborn to give in other than being forced. That's what God had kept saying before. He will not let you go unless I compel him with a mighty hand. But it's also about, for want of a better word, the stubbornness of God as well. That God is just too committed to his people to let Pharaoh get away with this. Flick back to before the plagues, back in Exodus chapter 4. Verse 22 and 23. And the Lord is speaking to Moses here. Before they've even gone back to Egypt to, to say any of this. Chapter 4, verse 22. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go. So I will kill your firstborn son. Can we see how the punishment here fits the crime? God saw his people as his children, as his firstborn son. In that culture, that means the one who gets the inheritance, his pride and joy. Pharaoh attacks his son. Pharaoh oppresses his son, enslaves his son, gets the babies and drowns them in the Nile. Over and over and over, he does these things. And over and over, God says, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. And Pharaoh won't. And so eventually, God speaks the only language Pharaoh seems to understand, and he retaliates in kind. He's saying, you take my firstborn son, I'll take yours. 
Now, we should take this plague as a very somber warning that God loves his people. He seriously loves his people and is so committed to them. He will not let things happen to them. God hates sin. He absolutely will put things right. This plague should be a wake-up call to us. We should be warned. As a slave driver, uh, Pharaoh wasn't very big on wages, but the Bible is clear, isn't it, that the wages of sin is death. That is what sin deserves. Death is the punishment which fits the crime. When we won't listen to God, when we refuse to go his way, when we harden our hearts to him, when we ignore his word, when we keep hurting other people, that is sin. And sin must and will be punished. This final plague is pointing us ahead to final judgment. When God himself will come down and destroy his enemies, when every sin will be paid for, every wrongdoing punished. The weeping, the wailing of Egypt is just a tiny echo of what's coming in the final judgment. What on earth are we going to do about that? This is a very somber scene. And in the, in the devastation of it, we need to look for a bit of hope. Is there any possible way to escape this? Well, yes, there is. There's a group of people who managed to avoid the plague, who managed to avoid this terrible death of the firstborn. Chapter 11, verse 7. God says, But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Oh my goodness, far from being destroyed... The Israelites aren't even going to get growled at by their pets. That is the level of protection God is going to give to them when the rest of the country gets wiped out. Why not? Why does he do that? Why does he show that kind of distinction between them? Well, four out of the nine plagues so far didn't affect the Israelites. So it was hailing everywhere, but it wasn't hailing where they lived. Is it going to be like that, where it's just, oh, it just doesn't affect them? Well, no, not quite. For the first time, avoiding God's judgment here requires action to be taken. If all we had was that verse 7, we might not realize that. We might think that God is saying, Egypt are bad, Israel are good, this lot are going to get punished, that lot are not. But that isn't the case. As we read into chapter 12 and, and the things that Anne read for us earlier, we get the picture filled in that Israel as well have sinned, that even God's people deserve this plague, and that the only way that they can escape is the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the Lamb. Chapter 12 comes in and explains what needs to happen if anybody is going to avoid the death of the firstborn? And that is that somebody else needs to die instead. We're learning here, aren't we, that the Israelites didn't just need saving from slavery. They needed saving from judgment. They were just as guilty as Egypt. 
They'd rejected Moses already. They hadn't believed God's promises. And as the story goes on throughout Exodus, we're going to see them grumble and doubt and ask if they can go back to Egypt. We'll see them worship other gods, even the gods that they're leaving behind in Egypt. We see even God's firstborn son, Israel, needs rescuing. Everybody sins, all of us. And so if anybody is going to survive from God's judgment, we need a way of escape. And that is what God is providing here in chapter 12. As he provides the blood of the lamb. We're told it needs to be a perfect lamb. Chapter 12 verse 5. The animals you choose must be year old males without defect. Now a perfect lamb is an expensive lamb. A good strong male is going to grow up to provide more good strong males. You don't get rid of those ones. You hang on to those ones. If you've got any of your flock you're going to hang on to, you hang on to the the good male ones, the ones with scabs and patchy fur and wonky legs. Well, they're no good for breeding. They're not much good for meat or anything, really. You can get rid of them. But God is saying, no, don't palm those ones off on me. Don't give God your damaged goods. God is calling them to actually make a sacrifice with their sacrifice. Don't just get rid of the nasty ones you might have chucked away anyway. No, offer to God something which costs But it's also about morality. Because the word for without defect isn't just about how healthy your animals are. It's it's used elsewhere in the Bible to talk about people's character, being blameless, being perfect. You see, death was coming to them because of sin. So if you send another defective creature to go and be killed in your place, well, that's not going to solve anything. The sacrifice had to be not like them in that sense. It had to be perfect. And yet the lamb was supposed to represent them as well. And we see that in lots of ways. There needs to be the right amount of lamb for the right amount of people. Now those getting used to catering, we've got lunch next week. You know, you do need to think a little bit about portion sizes as well, don't you? But there's more going on than that. See in verse 4, chapter 12, verse 4. If any household is too small for a whole lamb... They must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. So if you live on your own or you don't have a very big appetite, get together and share. If you've got kids who shovel down food like they've got hollow legs, well then you probably need to get quite a large lamb if that's possible. But the important thing here is there is a match-up between the lamb And the people, you need just the right amount. Not too much, not too little. In fact, leave no leftovers. Verse 10, any scraps need to be burned. Because the lamb and the people are perfectly matched up. There's even meant to be a personal connection between you and the lamb. Every household needs a lamb. And verse 3 says, to pick one out on the 10th day of the month. And then verse 6 says, take care of them until the 14th day of the month. So for five days, this lamb has been like a little family pet. Bring it into your home and care for it. You might have given it a name. Little lammy. I mean, look at him. Look at him. 
sweet little thing. The kids would get attached to him, wouldn't they? And probably not just the kids, if I'm honest. He's become part of the family. And that's the point, because the lamb represents the household. You can almost hear the children saying, please, Dad, don't kill him, Dad, please, can't we keep him? To which the response would be, it's him or you. The lamb must die instead of the people. Every household must slaughter this lamb. And then chapter 12, verse 22, we're told, take a bunch of hyssop, so a load of twigs from a plant, dip it in the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. This is a, a gruesome bit of DIY, isn't it? Go and get the blood of this lamb that you've just killed Paint it around the edge of the door. And then once you've done that, shut yourself inside. Whatever you do, do not go out there. It is not safe out there. God is out there. Judgment is out there. Death is out there. You are only safe in here. Verse 23. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the tops and sides of the doorframe, and will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Death must come to every house. The blood on the door was a graphic display that death had already happened here. A life has already been violently taken here. And so when the Lord goes door to door, delivering justice, he can pass over that house because justice has already been visited there. It's a very stark contrast, isn't it? It is either one or the other. It is either the firstborn son or the lamb. You are either under the judgment of God or under the blood. And that's precisely what we see happening one of those two things. Verse 29 to 30. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. Every single house experienced a death. The body count is the same everywhere. Everyone has experienced this. Either there has been the death of the firstborn son or there has been the death of a lamb. You choose. But in some ways you might think, well, how can a person be saved by a fluffy little lamb? How can a person be saved by that? Surely my life, surely your life is a little bit more significant than that. Well, yes, of course they are. As the passage says, it was a sign. It was a sign for the Israelites so they could look at it and say, see, we have done what God asked us to do. And it was a sign for the Lord as he looked on it. He could see their faith. 
It was a sign of their trust in God to pass over sins when a substitute dies in our place. No sheep can do that. Hebrews 10 talks about that. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Not really. We need something more. As the old hymn puts it, Not all the blood of beasts on ancient altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away sin's stain. But Christ, the heavenly Lamb, takes all our sins away, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. Countless times in the New Testament, the Passover is linked to Jesus. As what happened that night, what happened that one night in Egypt, points us forward to our rescue through Christ. That we also deserve death. That is coming for us. And yet he died for us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. It says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. That's how we're redeemed. By the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. By the perfect one who shed his blood for us. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We heard lots last week, didn't we, about redemption. Now that's what's happening here. His people are being redeemed. They're being bought back with a price. How does that happen for us? Well, it comes through his blood. Through Jesus. The Israelites needed one lamb per household. Later on the Day of Atonement, it was one lamb for the whole nation. But when Jesus comes along, John can say, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God's one and only firstborn son who dies in our place so that we can become God's sons and daughters. It is Jesus' death which sets us free, just like this tenth plague did for them. Chapter 12, verse 31. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you've requested. Go away. Go worship God. You no longer have to serve me. You are free to go and serve the Lord instead, which, as we've said before, that is what it means to be truly free, to serve and worship God. And all this comes about because of the blood of the Lamb. So what do we need to do? What do we need to do? We need to shelter. We need to take shelter under the blood of the Lamb. Salvation from this plague is not automatic, is it? It requires action. If any of the Israelites had gone, no, no, I'm good. I'm an Israelite. I'm fine. I don't think I need to do the Lamb thing because I'm just just fine as I am. I'll be fine. It would not go well for them. They had to believe what God said and do what he said. They had to kill the Lamb, paint the blood, stay undercover, run for shelter where God has made it safe. 
Now, this isn't salvation by works. They aren't saved by obeying. This is salvation through faith, through trusting God's word that he will see the blood and pass over you. If you don't believe that, then you won't do it. Or you'll wander around outside rather than staying in where it's safe. And it's the same with us. We are saved through faith in Jesus' blood. So do you believe that your sin deserves judgment? That God will judge sin, your sin? And do you believe that he wants to forgive and has sent us Jesus? Well, then shelter. Come and shelter. The lamb has been killed. The blood is there. Come inside where it's safe. Come and put your faith in Jesus. Not trusting yourself trusting him. Everything about this Passover meal signals faith. Chapter 12 verse 11, they were told this is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. That's like kind of saying, right, go put your shoes on, go get your coats on, grab your umbrella and then come and sit at the table for dinner. Why? Why do that? Well, because you've got faith that tonight you are leaving. Go pack your bags, go get your suitcase, go dress like you're about to leave, and then eat the food. I mean, that, that's bonkers. If, if you don't believe that tonight you are leaving the country, well, then they would have got comfortable for the night, wouldn't they? Or they might have gone, oh, it's a fancy dinner, let's dress up nicely. No. They have faith that God is going to keep his promises. That however unlikely it looks, despite every day of their lives so far being the same, they've gone to bed and they've got up the next morning and gone to work again as a slave. No, I believe God's word that tonight we are leaving. So get your shoes on, even while you're eating your tea. The whole thing is about having faith in God. It's not about being Jewish. It is about having faith in the Lord. There's, there's lots of details in here, interesting, that we can easily pass over. In chapter 12, verse 37 and 38. That night, who leaves Egypt? Verse 37. The Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. Many other people went up with them. And also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. Do you see that? It wasn't just Israel who were saved. Many other people came too. These plagues were about proclaiming the name of the Lord. And some of the Egyptians apparently were listening. So if the Lord is leading his people out of Egypt, well, count me in. You don't have to be a certain kind of person to be redeemed. You don't need a particular background or, or a good track record or a strong CV or anything. You just need to be a sinner who is sheltering under the blood. The blood is what saves us. It isn't even our faith which saves us or the quality of our faith. Just picture two families. There is one who they paint the blood on the door and they head straight to bed nice and confident, sleep right through, no problems. It's going to work. It's great. God said so. Brilliant. Family next door. Paints the blood on the door a little bit sheepishly, for want of a better word. 
They keep looking out the window, checking it's still there. It hasn't rained and all come off. Is this going to work? You sure this is going to work? Keep asking each other. Mum and dad get up a few times in the night to check on the children. You sure they're still okay? You can never be too careful. Which of those two families are going to be redeemed? Both of them. Because it's the object of their faith which counts, doesn't it? Not the strength of it. Our faith can be strong. It ought to be strong. But only because God is trustworthy. If he says that you are covered by that blood, then you are covered. So take shelter in Jesus. By faith in Jesus. And stay there. This is not just a message for new people. We need to keep on sheltering because that is the only place where it is safe. Are you sheltering? Are you inside? Are you covered? Or are you still in danger? Come and shelter in Jesus. The second response to all this is to remember This Passover rescue needed to be remembered. It must never be forgotten. And so even in the process of it happening, Moses takes time to tell them, and he is told by the Lord, how to remember it. It's quite a weird way to tell a story, to be honest. You've got chapter 11 predicting what's about to happen. Chapter 12, verse 1 to 13, preparing for this is going to happen tonight. You need to do this. And then verse 14 to 20 jumps into the future and talks about how they need to have an annual festival of remembrance about what's about to happen. And then the next couple of verses are back to what you need to do tonight, so you're ready for it tonight. And then verse 24, we're talking about these festivals in the future again. And then we come back to the present day. And then verse 42, it's all about the festivals again, till the end of the middle of chapter 13. He keeps flicking around. It's quite a weird way to tell quite a massive story. It's all about remembering. This event is so huge, you mustn't forget it. We are forgetful, aren't we? We are so forgetful. God needs to remind us to remember. And he does that for them in in tons of different ways. First of all, we've got the calendar. The start of chapter 12, the Lord says this. This month is to be for you the first month. The first month of your year. That's like somebody saying, what's the date today? Go on, genuinely, anybody, what's the date today? Come on, people. What's the date today? No, it's the 1st of January. For you, it's the 1st of January now. Today is so important that from now on, everyone else might say it's the 25th of January. No, it's the 1st of January. We're going to start the clock again now because this is so important. God is rewriting their whole calendar so that every single day points back to the Passover because the death of the Lamb marks a new beginning, a bit like how all of our dates, B.C. and A.D., all focus around the coming of Jesus. We need to remember our redemption. And then there's the meal. Every year on the anniversary of that special night, they need to eat roast lamb to remember the sacrifice that saved them. And the details of the meal will recall what happened So in uh, verse 46, it says, It must be eaten inside the house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. Now that's not talking about what they need to do that first night. That's talking about what they'll need to do when they remember it. Remember how you could not go outside. It was not safe out there. Well, remember that. 
when you eat that meal. And remember how the lamb had to be perfect. Well, just like that, don't break any of the bones. See, this is more than just a visual aid. This is more like a historical reenactment. Every year they recommit to being God's people as they replay the whole thing, a remembering, if you like. Say, we are members of God's people. And that's why it is only for God's people. They're told that if you weren't circumcised, you couldn't take part. It's only for the committed. And on the flip side, we're told people who refuse to take part in these festivals are cut off from Israel. We're told that twice. That's how important it is that they remember Because this isn't just something that happened to them that one time. This is something where they are remembering. We are God's people. He is our God. He has rescued us. And he will go on rescuing us. And then there's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Chapter 12, verse 14. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. And that's to remember the fact that they left in such a hurry, they didn't have time for their bread to rise. So don't forget that, the sudden hurry in which you left. To remember that, I want you every year to throw away everything with yeast in. Chuck out your bread and your marmite and your beer and your anything else you might have that has any yeast in. Chuck it away and don't have any of that for a whole week so that you remember I want you to to stay up the way that God did, verse 42. Because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt, on this night all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honour the Lord for the generations to come. This is about honouring him, remembering him. Don't forget what God has done. Then there's chapter 13 about the consecration of the firstborn. Effectively saying, look, each of those firstborn sons was saved They belong to God. If you want to enjoy them, you need to buy them back. Passover was very big on children for this reason, because they would have all been gone otherwise. Three times throughout this, they're told how to explain it to their children. saying, don't just go through the motions, explain it. So chapter 12, verse 26. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them. It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Chapter 13, verse 8. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Chapter 13, verse 14. In days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. Now, children do ask why, don't they? Why? 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 Why do we go to church? Why do we read our Bibles? Why do we pray? What does that mean? What does this mean? Why is this so important? Tell them why. And interesting, there was one of the questions is, what does this mean? One of the other questions was, what does this mean to you? Those are two great questions for, I just thought this off the top of my head, those are two great questions for a Bible study as well. What does this mean and what does this mean for you? That's a great way to read the Bible. But anyway, that's besides the point. But that's the thing here. It's saying, tell them why, remember why, and pass on why. All these different ways, God is saying, remember, remember, remember. So if this was supposed to be remembered, if this was supposed to be a lasting ordinance for all generations, 
Why don't we do it? And the answer is, because we do do it. We do do it. That's what the Lord's Supper is. It's a shame we're not doing it this week, actually. (laughs) It would have been quite a nice, fitting way to end. The Lord's Supper is the Passover. It was Passover night, wasn't it? When When the night before Jesus died, and Jesus takes that meal that they'd been having exactly like this for generations, and he has the boldness to reorient the whole thing around himself. He says, you know this thing you're supposed to never, 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 never forget? I'm changing it and you need to remember that instead. You need to remember me. This bread now represents my body broken. This wine now represents my blood poured out for you. You need to remember that. And the lamb? Well, we're not told about any lamb on the table because the lamb was at the table. Just like with the Exodus, whilst in the process of redeeming us, Jesus stops and tells us how to remember. Do this in remembrance of me. So taking the Lord's Supper is one great way for us to remember our redemption. But it is only one way. We remember our redemption every day by reading our Bibles, by talking about Jesus with one another, by encouraging each other here in our home groups, whenever we meet, singing Christian songs, all kinds of different ways. We want to be people who haven't just been rescued, but we remember what he has done for us. We remember what it means, and we remember what it means to us. And we remember what this means to us as well, by living godly lives. 1 Corinthians 5 draws a connection between yeast and sin. That may not have been a connection we would have drawn otherwise. But he makes that connection. Paul draws that connection between yeast and sin. He says, don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So if we're reading this and you go, okay, how would I keep the feast? How would I keep that as a Christian? Chuck away your sin. Just as they would get rid of all the yeast from their houses. Chuck away our sin. We remember our redemption by living lives of worship to Jesus as our Passover lamb. We used to be slaves to sin, but now we're free. We were doomed to die, but now we live, all because of the lamb. How might you make sure that you remember your redemption this week? How might we help one another to remember as well? The Passover was a time of sombre celebration, sombre as we remember our sin, as we think about the judgment we deserve, as we think about the death of Jesus. And yet what a celebration as well, because the Lamb has set us free. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we admit our sins. We do deserve your judgment. 
And yet we can come to you now because we shelter under the blood of Jesus. Please pass over our sins, we pray, because he has died for us. May we trust in you and live our lives remembering all that you've done for us through Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.